Good morning, precious church family. It's great to see you all, and uh, if you're joining us online, very warm welcome to you. Look, firstly, if you would call Coastline your home, let me uh, please ask you, if you haven't heard the two uh, messages uh, at the beginning of this series, uh, please would you go back and watch them on YouTube. Um, But if you're new here today, maybe you're even here today because someone in this church has introduced you to Jesus this week, which has absolutely happened, which is awesome. Or maybe you haven't been here for a few weeks. Uh, Let me tell you what is going on. We are unpacking uh, a vision that God gave me, us, uh, back in February. And I talked about how Coastline is growing and God is calling us to make space for more. I told you back in February that over the month of June, I'm going to be casting vision for a new kingdom facility to call home. To house everything that we do here on Sundays, and there's lots happening, not just in here, but obviously in the kids' room and in, in the youth centre, um, but we want a new facility to house this and to house a number of the current Compassion Ministries and the, and the Compassion Ministries that we dream about. This whole series is leading up to next Sunday, the 25th of June, uh, where we will take our first ever gift day towards this kingdom endeavor. If you remember in week one, I talked about how God, he is leading us forward. I talked about how he's inviting all of us to pray, to give, to save and search for a place to call home, to make space for those yet to come. In week two, last week, I talked about how we need to bathe this whole journey in fasting and prayer. And I talked about how we need to move as a community into a lifestyle of fasting and prayer, that we need utter dependence on God for this, but also for everything. This is uh, part three of four And today we're going to talk about trusting for a miracle. So I said to the team uh, at the beginning of this year that when we reach June and we go on this uh, building for the future and we share vision for us as a community exercising even greater extravagant financial generosity, more so than we've ever done and give towards the building for the future, there's usually two ways that people will react Fear or faith? Now, do you remember the story in Numbers 13 where Moses sends out the 12 spies on this reconnaissance mission to the promised land? Ten of those spies, they come back and they're talking to Moses and they feed back all the obstacles, all the challenges. They talked about that the land was fortified with giants, the Anarch. And these ten spies then back away from what the Lord was asking of them. They were afraid to follow the Lord into Canaan, into the promised land, because the challenge seemed so great, so far beyond their human strength. But if you remember, Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who believed that if the Lord was leading them, they had to go. They had to go with what the Lord was initiating, and the others shrank back in fear. Let me ask you a question. Do you allow fear-based thinking to limit what God can do in your life, or do you live by faith? 
Let me say that again. Do you allow fear-based thinking to limit what God can do in your life, or do you walk by faith? If something seems hard or slightly out of your comfort zone, do you shrink back in fear, or do you hold even tighter to your heavenly Father's hand, completely trusting that he knows what's going on, and he will lead you through it? See, for us as as a church, at this point, we have a number of unknowns. I've said this every week. We don't know the building or the land that the Lord has for us. We don't know what obstacles we may face in the coming weeks, months, and maybe years. But what we do know is the Lord has asked us to pray, to give, to save, and to search, to be ready. And I mentioned this back in February, but all the way through this journey... As I've journeyed this uh, with our senior leadership team, with our trustees, with our staff, and obviously with all of you, the Lord has reminded me of 1 Joshua 9. I'm going to speak this over you again, church. I did this in February. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Lord, I've sensed in this journey, has been with us every step of the way. And this is out of human control. We need God to do a miracle. We need a miracle to to see the Lord do what he says he's going to do. But as an encouragement to you, if you haven't yet seen this video that we're about to play, God is in the business of doing miracles And I know I've showed this every week, but some people haven't been here. But I want to show you three miracles that God has done in three other vineyard churches here in the UK. So watch the screens. Hey church, I'm here at St Albans, the current venue of Coastline Vineyard every Sunday. This place has been such a blessing for us over the last four or five years. But God is asking us to go on a new adventure. Here on Sundays, and in pretty much every area of coastline life, we are growing. God has called us to find or to build a building to facilitate all the current kingdom uh, ministries that are happening, but also to make space for more, to establish a vineyard church here in Bournemouth for generations to come. But is that even possible? And what would it look like? Well, thankfully, a number of vineyard churches across the UK and Ireland have taken this great step of faith, the same step of faith that we are about to take. So here we are at Trent Vineyard Church in Nottingham. Our staff team and our leaders have come all the way here for Vineyard Leaders Gathering 2023. So I thought I would take the chance to show you what a building purpose-built for ministry could look like. Amazing. This is an established vineyard church. This is what the Lord can do. Currently, for Coastline Kids, we are in three very, very small rooms. Let's take a little look inside Trent Kids to see the kind of options for spaces that we could have with a purpose-built kids' venue. 
Look at the size of this. This is their main kids' auditorium. It's got so much space, so much room for activities. Uh, it's great. They still have them all in together, but it's huge space for worship, loads of time for games. They've got a little stage so you can kind of contain stuff, keep it nice and safe for the kids. It's brilliant. As well as the main kids' auditorium, they've got loads and loads of breakout rooms all along uh, with space for age, different age groups to uh, do their stuff. They've got toys, games, all sorts of stuff laid out. Perfect spaces for babies, for toddlers, uh, as well as then smaller spaces to do life groups and stuff like that as well. Meanwhile, St Albans and Hull Vineyard churches have made converted warehouses their homes. Let's see how they've used their buildings to reach new levels of effectiveness in ministry. churches took on a seemingly impossible task that God made possible. We believe that God is calling us to take this step of faith, to usher in the revival that we're all believing for and change Bournemouth forever. Would you come on this great adventure with us? Why don't we give James a hand for the video? That's awesome, isn't it? Bless him for all his hard work. Now, look, you might look at that video and feel like this is an impossible task, but let me remind you, nothing is impossible with God. We need to hold the Lord's hand. We need to fast and pray, and we need to give everything that the Lord is asking us to give. That's our part. And if we do our part, then it's just down to the Lord to do his. See, the people of Israel were the ones that had to say, yes, we'll go in and fight. They didn't do it under Moses' leadership, but 40 years later, under Joshua's leadership, they saw the most incredible interventions of God's hand. Think about the walls of Jericho. Uh, They came down. They, They won crazy battle against outrageous odds. Let me tell you, friends, this journey is not an outrageous obstacle. It's an outrageous opportunity. We will continue to walk holding the Lord's hand and trusting that he knows how this is all going to happen. We do need a miracle if we want a building to call home. But we do face a huge challenge of giving the money needed. It's going to take a miracle. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to John 6, very famous story, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm just going to read the first four verses. They should come up on the screen. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. A great crowd of people followed because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
Now, in Matthew's account, in Matthew 14, it says the number of those that ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. There are 5,000 men, and the rest were women and children. The reality is there was probably about 15 to 20,000 people here, and Jesus feeds them all. This is the only miracle um, story that is recorded in all four of the Gospels other than the resurrection. And this story has some valuable lessons for us today. Because Jesus takes probably these five pita breads and two little pickled fish and he feeds this massive crowd these people were hungry, and Jesus miraculously, miraculously multiplies this food. So the question is, where does a miracle begin? Well, a miracle begins first when we admit our need. That's the starting point. If we want God to work in our lives, we've got to admit, we've got to say, God, I need your help. But many of us find this pretty difficult, don't we? We don't like to admit our need. We don't like to admit that we have problems. In fact, what we do is we hide our problems. We cover up our problems. We blame other people for our problems. We pretend our problems don't exist. But the first principle of this story is that God doesn't work in our lives until we ask him to. He doesn't save us until we ask him to. It says, ask and it will be given to you, Matthew 7, 7. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we're commanded to ask. In James 4, 2b, it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So we come to Jesus and we admit we need his help. However, if we don't come to Jesus and ask for help with our problems, it's usually because of three self-defeating behaviors. It's because we either procrastinate, avoid responsibility, or worry. And the disciples in this story did all three. The disciples procrastinate. They put off dealing with the problem. They delay it. In Mark's account, it says this. It says, by this time, it was late in the day. That's Mark 6, 35. Anyone could have figured out at some point these people are going to get hungry. They're out in the middle of the desert. There's no place to eat. These people get hungry, but the disciples put it off. And many of us do that with our problems. We delay We procrastinate. We pretend it doesn't exist. We look the other way. But the truth is, when we procrastinate, it only makes the problem worse. It's like putting an essay off to the last minute or last minute handing in your tax return. Procrastination never solves any problems. What it actually does is make the problem worse. Hoping the problem will go away doesn't work. In the current situation that we are facing, this huge challenge of giving significant amounts of money towards a building to call home, we may well be tempted 
to put this off and procrastinate. We might think, oh, well, St. Albans will do for a while longer, won't it? You know, we'll multiply services. I'll wait until we're full in both of those gatherings. We might be tempted to think, well, let's just wait. You know, I'll put it off. And uh, when we have uh, some land in mind or a building in mind, then I'll consider to give. Let me tell you, church, that's not faith. And as I've explained many times before, there are certain times of the year, maybe not now because we're moving into the summer, that this, this, this space here has 350 adults in it, and of course we have 100 children and young people in the other venues. And all the stats show, and I've said this every week, that when we're 70, 80% full, we're full, and people then bounce off us. And this doesn't happen every week, but before long, unless we change things, it will become more and more of a problem. Plus we know, and I've shared this with you before, that if we do no evangelism, we do no compassion, we don't reach out to the community of Bournemouth at all, God keeps blessing this church with children, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing. We cannot procrastinate hoping that the problem will go away. The disciples basically said, uh, we're going to read this now, well it's not our responsibility is it? Mark 6.36 says, send the people away so that they can go get themselves fed. They're basically saying, Jesus, we didn't ask these people to come and see you, so it's not our responsibility to feed them. And we could be tempted, like the disciples, to think, well, it's not our responsibility to provide for those yet to come. But the Lord wants to work with us We have the privilege of being part of extending the kingdom of God here in Bournemouth through this precious church. We can't procrastinate. What happens next in this story? The disciples get anxious. We often worry about our problems. Let me tell you, church, if we prayed about our problems as much as we worry about our problems, we'd have a lot less to worry about. We would. Listen, you know this. We all tend to fret and stew and get anxious and stress ourselves out. But notice what Jesus says to the disciples here in verse 37. He says, you give them something to eat. And the disciples reply straight away, "Well, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? They immediately think about the expense. They say it would take more than eight months' wages to feed this lot. They're like, how can we possibly find that amount of money? There's just no way that we've got that kind of money. And what they have forgotten is the one who is there with them, the king of the universe, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, standing right there beside them. This is a guy that's already made a thousand bottles of wine out of some jars of water. He's calmed a storm. He's raised a dead person. And, he, and they don't see it. In John's account, in John 6, 2, it says, A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. This crowd followed Jesus because they saw miraculous signs. And we have the disciples at that point looking for a human solution. 
Jesus is right there beside them. And we all have the potential to act like the disciples when we have a problem. When we forget that God is with us. I mean, he said he'll help us if we come to him. So a miracle happens when we admit we have a need. By not procrastinating and not getting anxious, we need to trust that God knows and he is in control. We can't ask God to send the people away that are coming towards us, essentially trying to stop him from growing his church. We as his church have a responsibility to do what the Lord is asking of us. Verse 37 again, you disciples give them something to eat. In other words, he's saying, you disciples, you do your part. So a miracle happens when we first admit our need. But secondly, God's miracles often involve a major test of faith. Let's go back to verse um, 6. There are tests along the way for sure. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus only asked this to test Philip. The next verse said, because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Before Jesus works a miracle, he very often tests us. Do you know that God tests us all the time? All the time during the week, the everydays, all the normal uh, experiences of, of difficulties and trials and temptations. I mean, God is actually like one of those teachers who constantly springs a test on us, right? Most of us would like God to act differently, wouldn't we? We'd like him to tell us when the test is going to be so that we can all prepare here, we want him to tell us what the subject of the test is on. Uh, we'd actually quite like him to give us the questions beforehand so that we can study and we can feel ready, don't we? But life never works like that. It's never the case that we get the questions beforehand. Often in life, there are tests of unexpected circumstances. Testing times, like you find out you have a health issue. You've always assumed that, that you would just be well, and then you're not. It's a testing time. A testing time, you hit financial difficulties. Everything is fine, and then suddenly there's a problem with your job or your business or your family. Maybe people are getting laid off at your work. It's a testing time. But let me tell you, church, in those moments, there is a test hidden in the trial and the test is this, do we still believe that God is good? And do we still believe that God is in control? See, this process of building for the future will test our faith. And in the next week, leading up to next Sunday, the 25th of June, I'm asking you, church, would you fast and would you pray? Would you ask God, what should I give Obviously, if you're a couple, would you commit some time this week to pray together and allow God to speak to you? Now, when God speaks to us, there's often a couple of emotions, right? One is thrill, like, wow, God has spoken. And in this instance, 
immediate fear. <laughs> and these two conflicting emotions, uh, when they happen, there's a great temptation to then compromise on what you initially heard God say. You kind of go, well, can I get away with maybe giving less than God said? Can I still obey God but compromise what he said? The answer is no, you can't. We might think, wow, God, I could really, really do with that money. But through this uh, sacrifice of money, God wants to put us in a position of a greater measure of trust that he will meet all of our needs. And remember, God loves to bless a cheerful giver. The Lord knows what will happen with this building. And he is placing a test of faith before us. We can take comfort in the fact that he already has in mind what he's going to do. We might sit there and think, well, if I give that much, like, what do I have to fall back on? Like, if I pledge that much over the coming years, like, how am I going to be able to survive? Church, we need to be obedient because he already has in mind what he's going to do. Now, some of you will know Rich Nathan. I think we've got a picture of him coming up. He's the senior pastor of Columbus Vineyard in Ohio. I think it's still the largest vineyard church in the U.S., and when he went on this very journey a, a number of years ago and was trying to buy a piece of land and build on it, this was during the saving and loans crisis, like in the mid-80s to mid-90s. There were federal regu regulators who were putting severe credit limits on local banks. Now, they'd raised a, a significant amount of money from their small congregation, but they needed to... Uh, build this building, so they had to go to the local bank to ask to borrow the rest of the money. And Rich went to six or seven local banks, and everyone was like, forget it. There simply isn't any money out there, especially for churches. Uh, they had one last bank to go to, and Rich was told by the loan officer of that bank, uh, even though their financials were strong, uh, and the vice president, who ultimately makes all the decisions for the bank, he knew about their situation. He basically said, look, the, the vice president has said, look, if the name Presbyterian had been on the application, then we'd probably given the loan. But the VP was like, yeah, Vineyard, sounds like a bit of a flash in the pan to me. And Rich, at this point, hearing this from uh, this loan officer, was like, look, we're not, we're not a flash in the pan. Like, you know, we, 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 God is moving, we're growing. And Rich was like, look, can I speak to the vice president? And I will share with him about who we are. And the vice president said, look, he didn't want to meet with him. That was on the Thursday. And the bank was going to make a decision on the Monday. So the church got together, a bunch of their prayer warriors on the Friday, and they prayed for a miracle. On Sunday morning, the bank's vice president, he was at home. He normally went to church, but he was at home because his child was sick. So he put on the TV, and he was watching Robert Shuler's Hour of Power on television. Some of you might know that very famous show uh, a while back. And this was something that he didn't normally do. Anyway, Robert Shuler decides on this Sunday to tell a story of how he was in Amsterdam, he was in a coma, and a man from the vineyard came and prayed for him. Yeah, and then he thanked God for the vineyard, and he prayed for this man, and that man happened to be John Wimber, 
the founder of the vineyard movement. Robert then thanked God for the vineyard, thanked God for John Wimber, and he told everybody of how he was miraculously healed. I mean, in the back of this VP's mind, he must have been thinking about Columbus Vineyard. Rich got a call from the loan officer on the Tuesday and said, Rich, you'll never guess what happened yesterday. He said the vice president came into the committee meeting and went, the Vineyard is a very well-known, nationally recognized organization, and we're going to give them the money. Yeah. Isn't God good? You can clap that. They had no idea how this obstacle could be overcome, but the Lord already had in mind what he was going to do. So miracles happen through admitting our need, by not procrastinating or getting anxious. It happens through a test of faith. Thirdly, a miracle happens in understanding kingdom economics. And we've talked about this before. God's maths is different from ours. John 6, 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? God's miracles are often based on very different mathematical calculations than ours. If a bookkeeper was to read the New Testament without the eyes of faith, it would drive them crazy because you just can't figure out God's maths at all. A thief on the cross next to Jesus in their dying breath is in the kingdom of God because Jesus saves him. Just as much as somebody who's been serving Jesus for 85 years uh, faithfully and God saves them. The bookkeeper would say, but that's not fair. That's not fair. And Jesus said, it's not supposed to be fair, it's all grace. God's maths is different from ours. This boy's lunch couldn't be divided into 10, let alone 15,000 or 20,000. They needed a miracle to feed people with that lunch. Some of you, as you think about how much money to give, may be tempted to look at your bank accounts and look at the five pitters and the two little pickled fish. And you might be like, oh, if I give those pitters and those sardines, like, what am I going to have to live on? You might think, well, I do need a new washing machine, and and actually I do need a new car, and I've got, uh, you know, student loans to pay. I've got all this stuff that I need. Look, God's maths is not ours. And when he says to Coastline Vineyard, you feed them, do you know what he's factoring in? He's factoring in God. See, when we look at our resources, we don't often factor in God, do we? But God can make us infinitely creative. God can give us ways to increase our giving and multiply our resources, and he blesses our generosity. Think about it. When we go to pray for someone, we factor in God, don't we? Whether it's a toothache or a cancer, we need God to fix it. When we share our faith, we might say to ourselves, I mentioned this last week, that person is just so hard-hearted. They're just so far away from God. There's just no way, but we have to factor in God because miracles happen when we work by different a mathematical system 
than the world when we factor in God. The boy gave what he had. And I'm sure that in that crowd of 15 to 20,000 people, somebody had brought a bigger and better lunch. But this boy got to be the hero not because he bought the best lunch. Somebody out there probably had you know, wine and brie and French bread and chicken drumsticks and a red and white checkered tablecloth in a wicker hamper. This little boy became the hero, not because he had the biggest or the best lunch, but because he gave it to God. He gave what he had to Jesus. He said, here's my pitters and here's my fish. And God will use whatever we give him. He will take it and he will use it. And God likes to use ordinary things to do extraordinary things. God likes to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks. It seems this boy volunteered his lunch willingly, not begrudgingly or complaining or resentful or worrying. He didn't say to himself, well, I've got to think about you know, what I'm going to eat if I give my lunch away. No, he didn't. He did it cheerfully, and he did it immediately, and he didn't hesitate. And he, actually, think about it. He didn't even know what God was going to do with it. That's the kind of giving that sparks this miracle. From the, bo- the boy's point of view, he gave what he had to give, and God multiplied it. Church, if we release our gifts out of our hands and put them in his, he can do a miracle. So miracles happen when we admit our need through a test of faith, when we use kingdom economics. And lastly, God's miracles often require our participation. When people get healed, it's almost always involved Christians praying for healing. John, 10, uh, John 6 verse 10 says, have the people sit down in groups on the grass. The disciples go over to the people and they say, look, could you sit down please and get into groups of 50 and 100? Could you get ready for dinner? Knowing their hands were empty. And that's what I'm asking you guys to do. I'm asking you to get ready for a miracle. Mark 6.39 says Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifty, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Now, it's not clear, read all of these uh, stories and all of the, the Gospels, it's not clear from any of the accounts whether the food was multiplied in Jesus' hands as he kept breaking, you know, the, the fish and the bread, or whether he gave it to the disciples and as they handed it out, it multiplied. Whichever it was, it involved the disciples in the process of feeding the crowd. In the Bible, over and over again, it said that God does the things of heaven through the hands of men and women. God required the priests with Joshua to actually walk into the water before the Jordan was parted. God required the people to circle the walls of Jericho over and over. God just doesn't just knock the walls down himself instantly. 
As we play our part, it releases God to move. And as we step out in extravagant, radical financial generosity, when we exercise our faith muscle as a church, we're saying to God, we want to walk in complete obedience to the call on our lives. And the call on this church is life. This sets the stage for him to act. Church, let's not shy away from all that he is inviting us to. As I said before, it's not about how much or how little we have. It's about giving sacrificially everything that God asks you to give. God's provision is more than enough to meet this need. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, if you remember, at the end of the story, the disciples had 12 baskets over Enough to give away to others, and we don't know whether they distributed to the people on the walk home. We don't know whether they gave a basket to the boy and she got to take it home uh, to to his mum. The point is they had an abundance to give away. And remember this, folks. All of the money that we give to this building, we are going to give away 10% to the Coastline Community Trust so that in the coming weeks, months, and years, we will have a greater provision of hope here in Bournemouth so that we can continue to give away an abundance of support and help and love to the community of Bournemouth. We believe that God has asked us to trust him in this, and that's what we're going to do. So a miracle happens when we admit our need without procrastinating or getting anxious. Miracles happen when we, uh, our, test, uh, our faith is tested. Miracles happen by remembering uh, kingdom economics, and miracles happen through our participation. Look, we give what we have. If we only have a small lunch, let's give it cheerfully. But if we've been blessed with a lot, let's give a lot cheerfully. Equal sacrifice, remember I said this last year in October, equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. God's provision is more than enough to meet this need. As I've said before, the building God has for us, it may come soon or it may come later. Whatever happens, it seems that God wants to take us on this adventure and walk with him. And as we do, we will learn some lessons and we will grow as disciples. We're not going to shrink back from this opportunity uh, by looking at the giants in the land. We're going to put our hand in his and stay in step with the Spirit. We for sure need a miracle for all this to come about. about. So church, would you pray and fast this week and be willing to give everything the Lord asks you to give and just leave the outcome to him. Amen? Amen.